confused and think I was a teenager, so he pointed me up here so that I wouldn't accidentally drift back, I guess. Let's pray, and then I'll uh, get started. We have a lot to cover today, as always, but uh, God is good, and uh, it's great that God has given us so much to uh, feed on. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for another beautiful day surrounded by believers. And Lord, under the teaching of your word, Lord, I, I just know how much the word of God means to each of us and how much it needs to mean to each of us. And I pray, Lord, that you would impress that upon us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about doctrinal deviation today. We've talked about marriage redefinition. We talked about gender diffusion. We've talked about cultural assimilation. Today is doctrinal deviation. My subtitle here might help some, The Worship of God Apart from the Truth of God. And I think I'll be able to help you see what I mean by that here shortly, but I have a whole bunch to cover. I literally just finished this. I never finish studying, I just run out of time. <laughs> I mean, I really do. There's so much to know and learn. Um, and I'm probably even stalling so that if you click on this, the PDF will be finished uploading by now. For the PowerPoint, the other one's up there. So if you would like the notes, full notes that I have uh, with all the scripture and stuff, you can find those there. I just added those to the website moments ago, right? So as a bivocational pastor, you will not ever overindulge in sleep. <laughs> just as an FYI. But there's, uh, I tell people, uh, that's what the eternal state is for, right? To rest. So Paul, even Jesus didn't seem to uh, focus on leisure time, right? You're here for a reason. Paul warned the believers at Ephesus night and day with tears for two years. He wasn't on vacation it didn't seem ever. His goal was to influence people with the Word of God, and I hope in some small way I replicate that. Um, I'm adding supplement studies that relate to our topics, just from things I've taught before on the website as I have time. So I'll probably finish some today. Um, here's the theme verse again. I won't spend a lot of time on it again, but... Right behind me, it's, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And again, I, I remind you that you cannot claim verse 9 unless you're practicing verse 8, right? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We're going to dovetail into that a little more today. 
overall series statement again, I, you, we have a tendency to think that we, we exist so that God may bless us. I would say that in part that is true, but it's only in part true because God has told us, as we talked about yesterday, what he desires us to do so that we will accomplish what he wants and ultimately bring, I think, blessing upon us and others, ultimately eternally, not necessarily in this life. It doesn't necessarily result in a bigger paycheck here. Right? But let me, let's read it out loud together, okay? You cannot get the results God desires to give while ignoring the commands God has given. Right? They go together. All right. I like to tie in the time of the giants with our studies each day. And here's the event, if you will. This is just David... As a young man, probably who would have been in the, under Pastor Scott in the teens right now, he would have been dismissed from our group, right? And he has now gone out and is confronting the over nine foot tall big guy that no one else in the Israeli army had any desire to confront. And he says this, Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. And the Bible describes those. They're more than a sword, spear, and javelin. They're huge, right? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. Can you imagine this over nine foot tall guy seeing a little pipsqueak guy over there that wasn't big enough to wear Saul's armor saying this? Right? I, I wonder what went through Goliath's mind. Was even possibly fear. If this kid's big enough to, from his perspective, trash talk him. There must be something there. <laughs> right? And he should have feared. Uh, this, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, not just your body, the bodies of your entire army, right? To the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. We're going to have a big feed today on your army, this young man said. That all the earth may know, what? That there is a God in Israel. It had nothing to do with who David was. Right? Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. There's a reason why a pipsqueak is standing in front of you, giant. Because... God isn't hindered by size at all, right? He does not say with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. David had nothing but good theology here. And that's why he was standing alone before the nine-foot giant. Just several things there. David accurately understood the truth of God. He knew who God was. And he knew who Goliath was. And God was bigger. 
Okay? David accurately assessed the situation by the truth of God. What's the problem here, gentlemen? Is there not a cause? He's talking to his own ar army with the three older brothers who were old enough apparently to be in the army. Is there not a cause? Why, why do you let him talk that way to the, the army of the God of heaven? Right? He assesses the situation by the truth of God, and then he acts upon the truth of God. David had no problem, by the way. He had practiced. He had killed a lion and a bear, right? It's not like he had never done anything before. He was faithful where he was before. But then he went out, and he knew he could rely upon the God of Israel because he was also the God of David, right? He was also his personal God as he understood it. Now let's go ahead now. The giant of doctrinal devi deviation. You cannot act like David if you do not believe like David. You cannot have a life like David if you are not faithful to God in the fields watching your sheep and relying upon God on a daily basis. When we talk about the giant of doctrinal deviation, that means we just get away from the truth. We just veer off from what is true and then we act accordingly. The army of Israel had veered off from what was true because they forgot that they were the army of the God of Israel. And they forgot that God was their God and what he could do. If I would say this in a summary fashion, we need to rightly understand the person of God, the power of God, and the promises of God. You have to understand that in order to live rightly any time in any place. The person of God, the power of God, and the promises of God. The world suppresses and defies the truth. And they often make us think that they know the truth and we don't. They are hating the truth because their deeds are evil. The Bible says this here. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. The truth is here now. We have the revelation of God, even in the person of Jesus and now in the finished work of the Lord and the Word of God. And men, what? Love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And I might say this too. If you do not have an affinity for the Word of God, I would tend to suggest that you are living in sin. Because the Bible says, it goes on to say, everyone practicing evil hates the light. You don't want to be in the Word of God. And I'm just trying to be friendly to you and tell you the truth. You don't want the Word of God because the Word of God will tell you what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong, and it will measure you. And thankfully, it does all of that, right? Notice here, everyone who practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And by the way, we need that constant exposure. That's what the power of God does, the Word of God does. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The world hates the truth. Secondly here, the world refuses to accept the clear evidence of God. 
We've read this before, Romans 1 this week, but for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And what does it say here? It's not that they don't know the truth. They suppress the truth. They hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Believe it or not, the world does not lack information. They just lack the desire to embrace the God of creation, right? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. It keeps going here. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are what? What's the word? Clearly seen. They are self-evident. They're obvious. Being understood by the things that are what? Made. Creation clearly identifies, the, what is it, uh, Psalm 14 and Psalm 19, the heavens, what? The glory of God. Where? Declare the glory of God. Right? And there's no language where that is not understood, that passage says. Everyone gets it. It's not a problem of communication. Right? Interpretation or anything. Even His eternal power and Godhead. That's what you can know through creation. That there is a God and He is amazingly powerful. Right? Without argument that there. So that they are without, a, without excuse because although they knew God, I don't in personally believe that any evolutionist truly is an evolutionist, an atheist, for example. I believe that it's inside and they're just pushing against it because it's inside them, God says. They knew God. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. If you reject what is obviously true, you are relegated to the absurd. You have to believe that everything you see came by accident and without any design, and for no reason whatsoever. That is absurd. It is. And you can get PhDs in absurdity. <laughs> and it's true. They suppress the truth. So they sit there and say, well, we'll just keep adding millions and billions of years and maybe randomly something will happen. And it still doesn't explain the immaterial. It doesn't explain the fact that you can reason. Right? The immaterial. None of that. It's just absurd. Why? Because they came, became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Sin closes the door on your mind. Right? And that's a choice. It goes on to say this. Professing to be wise, they became fools. It doesn't matter where they studied, what they know. If you reject the idea that you first have to understand that God created everything, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom according to Proverbs. If you reject that, there's nothing left but foolishness. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Now maybe you're thinking hard and fast idols, but we have done the same thing. Humanism is the idea that man is the highest form, and we define who God is if there is a God at all. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness 
in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And notice here, they exchanged the truth, the obvious truth of God, for the lie. You know, there is no God. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. If you don't believe, a, believe in a creator, you are left to worship creatures. Whether they're NFL players, whether they're preachers, people worship preachers. How, what a sad thing. Right? There's, there's nothing but the God of heaven that is worth worshiping. But you can listen to your politicians. Who do you worship? It's not meant to be people of any kind. But that's what the world does. They hate the truth. They refuse to accept the clear evidence of God. And they propagate false knowledge. And they, they're very... Uh, they pressure us with false knowledge. It has to be true. They don't have a reason necessarily, but listen, everybody else believes it, so that obviously the majority is right. I say that as facetiously as I can. If the majority was always right, Israel would have gone back to Egypt and still been slaves, right? Propagating false knowledge. Here, this is Colossians 2. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. According to the basic principles of the world. That means there's a whole set of teaching or doctrine that the world holds to that is a lie. Another passage, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is what? Falsely called knowledge, right? Just because... You can write a book on it, doesn't make it true. Okay. Is it me? I mean, I can stand, no. I might be able to stand still. If, if you tie my hands, I can't talk. My kids will tell you that. It's like, right, so. Anyway, they, they hate the truth, refuse to accept the obvious truth, and then propagate a false knowledge. Now, here's the church. And the church abandons the truth throughout history. You can see this. It's not something I'm making up. The church has constantly abandoned the truth. And in fact, you can look at even the history of the General Association of Regular Baptists. And that came out of the Northern Convention because people had abandoned the truth. It happens constantly. You have uh, um, major universities that used to be preacher training places. You ever heard of a place called like Harvard or Yale? <laughs> they were founded to train pastors. And now they're scraping anything off the walls that has anything to do with God at all. Right? right? And we, we wrestle with this and over and over, there's fights, and there need to be fights, about the inspiration of Scripture, right? And all that, because everything is built on that. And there's so much, just constant abandonment. And does the Bible mean what it says or not? Is it the Word of God or not? If it's not, we are wasting our time. 
If it is, we need to be serious about it, right? So I'm going to walk through, and it's quite a bit here, but uh, it's all on the screen. And I think you will see how serious this is. And I would like to even challenge you to consider that maybe you're part of it. We always read the Word of God, and it, it sure applies to Bill over here, right? I mean, we think we're in the, on the winning team when we, uh, you know, anytime we approach it, we're always on the inside. Well, maybe we're not. Maybe we're the people that God is describing in some of the passages we're reading. And I'm not saying it because I know you. I don't know most of you. And those of you that know me, I'm thankful you showed up anyway, right? Um, but I believe we are in serious times. I believe we're in a precipitous time in the United States. It's, you know, one way or another, something's going to break, and either we're going to lose all of our freedoms, and me preaching today would put me in jail because of things I've said this week, or we're going to see a, at least a respite of some kind. It's, but that's true all over the world, right? The church, and I'm going to give you, I think, six things that the church does that I think hinder the Word of God and also encourage the abandonment of the truth of God. The first one here is by handling the Word of God poorly. I don't think we have any idea how poorly the Word of God is handled. And if there, there's so much poor teaching that goes on today over the airwaves, and thankfully you can get repeated copies over, and you can listen to falsehood all day long every day over the internet, YouTube, or whatever. It's great. It's all over. But look at here. It says this. Also in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, talking about Paul's epistles, Peter's reflecting on Paul here, in which some things are hard to understand, which, what? Untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scriptures. Just because people wear a Christian badge doesn't mean that they're accurate. Have you noticed? Um, for a short time, some of you know this because you were probably at Faith while I was there, but I managed the bookstore at Faith for like two and a half years. I'm not an idolater, but I do own a lot of books. I had to clarify. I probably own more books than anybody here and maybe in total <laughs> of everybody here. I don't know. I like books, right? I don't read them that much because of time. But you never know when you'll get time, so you keep buying books. <laughs> but in the bookstore, I was there and like, oh man, here's these really good books that come out, and I'd buy, you know, buy, you'd stock the store with some, and no one would buy any of the good stuff. They would buy all the bad stuff, or the fluffy stuff, as I call it, or whatever. And you saw so much... Listen, what drives the book industry is your money, not the doctrinal accuracy of a book. 
You under, even the production of different versions of the Bible. Right? And I'm not knocking any given version, but I sat down with one of the sales reps for Moody Publishers at the time, and I said, why do you guys struggle as a publisher? You're one of the more conservative publishers at the time. I honestly don't know where they're at now. But he said, we haven't hit the Holy Grail yet. And I said, what's the Holy Grail? And he says, you have to get your own Bible translation. That's where the money is. That's where the, the big bucks are. And you can see it roll out. And each publisher will get usually one major one. Has nothing to do with the quality of the production, right? I'm not... They'll have good people, but that's why they're going into the production business. Most of the Christian publishers are owned and traded on the public market. So their goal is whatever sells is what they will create, not what is accurate and helpful. You understand that, right? So just because it's on, and you wouldn't believe all the coordination that goes on from one episode of some Christian uh, radio program or whatever, they will bring up a book. All the bookstores know that they're going to mention that before they have it. It's a marketing situation as well, right? It's driven by that. So you have to understand that just because it's in print doesn't mean it's any good at all. And you have to evaluate very closely the books that you read. And a lot of best-selling authors are heretics if I can use that word. And I'm not speaking about their hair length. Right? I mean, people, oh, this is so good. And it's like, you realize he's a church of Christ and believes in baptismal regeneration, right? That's what you're building your faith upon, that man? Right? You, they have no idea where they went to school or what they believe or whatever, but your beliefs determine what you teach and how you apply the Word of God. It just, it matters, Right? So 2 Peter here. The church also enables unqualified teachers. This has been something I've wrestled with for years. It just grieved me. Why, do, why does the church say, hey, we need someone to teach this class? And, and it's like, well, maybe you should say, who's qualified first to teach the class? Maybe we should start there. You wouldn't... Will, I don't know if you do this at Ames. I know you don't do this at Ames. Anyone want to preach next Sunday? Anyone? Why would you do that to your kids? Right? Why would you do that? Enabling unqualified teachers. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, but Paul is talking directly to Timothy, and he says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, building up which is in faith. And he goes on to say, now the purpose of why I am telling you, Timothy, is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. You ever had a a Sunday school teacher, that their content is idle talk? That's a tragedy. And by the way, it's an unbiblical thing. We need teachers that study and know the Word of God. Teacher used to be equated with the word master. You've mastered that information. Right? 
understanding the desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. The content they're relaying and the content they're confirming are both who knows. And we cannot have unqualified teachers. I'll just say what we do. We handpick our teachers at our church, and we also create the curriculum ourselves so we know what we're doing. But if you have a teacher that doesn't want to prepare, you don't have a teacher. I, I'll give you an example back in the bookstore. I didn't go to jail because I didn't act on the lust of my flesh at the moment, but someone came in and said, what do you have? We're responsible for children's church this month. What do you have that we don't have to prepare at all for? So I'm like thinking, strangulation? <laughs> I, in my mind, I'm like, how am I going to put these people down? Because those kids need someone better than these people teaching them the Word of God. The, you, you're not, you don't bring your kids to church to be entertained. You get them to be edified. You get, bring them to be taught. And the church says, hey, we don't care. We're just running the program. We don't care what's in the program. We don't even care who teaches the program. We don't even care what's taught in the program. That's, a tr that's going against the Word of God. If someone teaches, and by the way, I teach different levels at different times. Wednesday nights we, have, we rotate, but I'll work with the little kids, the big kids, because I think I'm their pastor. Right? I'm supposed to pastor the whole church kind of thing. And we rotate because someone else is teaching the adults and not me when that happens or I might be teaching the youth or whatever. But I want to impact them, but I prepare. I prepare hard for a little kid's class no different than a youth class or an adult class. Why? Because you're supposed to teach them. I don't want to waste their time. I'm not trying to waste your time. I don't know how many people are here. They only taught us how to count to four in the army, huh? Right? <laughs> Even jumping out of airplanes. Counted to what? Was it four? I don't remember. <laughs> I made it to the ground, so I didn't have to really worry. But four, you know, there's a lot of people here. But multiply all the time here, and you have lots of time. And I'm not, I don't want to waste your time. There's a small amount of time, and I want you to learn the Word of God in the time I have to be able to influence you. You do not want teachers that don't know what they're talking about or what they're affirming teaching people in the church. And Paul tells Timothy, don't let that happen. I believe one of my big responsibilities as a uh, pastor is uh, to direct the teaching ministry of the church. And I don't know about you, but we used to have how many here are from official Baptist churches? I mean, they have Baptist in the name or sub-name or sub-sub-sub-name or whatever. Baptist distinctives. How many offices are there? Two. We got two or peace sign. One of, one of the other. <laughs> peace. Two. We believe in two offices. In fact, it fits with our acronym greatly. We wouldn't have, I suppose we could have three, but we wouldn't have four because it would goof up the acronym, right? And then you go to the, look at your, go home and look at your uh, constitution and see how many offices your, your constitution defines. We had six. Pastors, deacons, financial secretary, treasurer, Sunday school superintendent, and we had a Sunday school secretary. 
It's like, well, one is wrong. Either there's two offices or there's six, right? But we said those either fit in one side or the other if there's two offices. So the pastors oversee the teaching ministry and the deacons oversee the money ministry, right? We, we try to be biblical about what we're doing, but the idea is I'm responsible to make sure what we teach is accurate. And it's very hard when you use curriculum to do that. You can use curriculum all you want. I don't think there's anything unbiblical about it. We just like to have everyone on the same page and know what we're doing, right? So we're teaching through the Bible chronologically, like I said. So enabling unqualified teachers is a big issue. Then it, we tell people when they say it doesn't matter, we're glad you're willing, and that's all that matters. Willingness is the only thing that matters. And we send them into class so they don't need to know the Word of God. And, and everyone understands that the Word of God is not important here. We, you know, that's not the big deal as long as we do our program. Right? And I only have to do it for a month because next month I'm out again, you know. They also, we also f are focusing on the unhelpful or unimportant. Now, this one kind of surprised me because it wasn't something in the top of my head. But look at this here. I'm just going to list these off in rapid fire. 1 Timothy 1.6 said, turn aside to idle talk. 1 Timothy 2.16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Did you know rambling increases ungodliness? If people don't know what they're talking about, it, it's not neutral. It's damaging. Right? 1 Timothy 4.7, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. I'm not done yet. Here's the more list. Someone who does this is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. All this is like stuff that doesn't matter, and that's where people focus on, right? That's what the church will often do. Oh, here's another one. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely so-called knowledge. And then you have Titus 3.9, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable in what? They waste people's time. At the very least, you're just burning up some time that you will never get back, right? You never get back today. I, I told you I went into the uh, college out of the army. Not that the Army was that great. They still had issues and all that, but uh, I was pretty focused. And I think I was in one of Dr. Kober's classes. Do you know Dr. Kober? And a young man was sitting next to me, sleeping. Now, in the Army, they will gently nudge you and encourage you, come on now, this is... No. They'll get in your ear, and you might want to cover your ears. Get on! If you ever fall asleep, it happens once. You have enough adrenaline to last you for the rest of basic training. <laughs> but they also said, you know what? If you want to listen, stay awake, stand up. It's a lot harder to fall asleep when you stand up, and if you do, you'll wake up shortly. But it's worth listening. So I tapped the young man, and I said, quietly, I was just talking to him. I said, you need to pay attention. I said, 
you are paying for this class, number one. Number two, you will never get this content again. He won't cover it next week. He covers it today. And you need this information. You need to know this. That's why you're here. Kent Lovell has been a missionary in Peru for years now. Hopefully I've encouraged him to listen to some. He's a wonderful guy. <laughs> but, and I didn't say that out of criticism. I meant it. It's worth your time to pay attention. When a lot of students would be sitting in Matthew class at 7 o'clock, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, sleeping... I'm on the edge of my seat because if you've ever read through Matthew, you lose your salvation quite a bit. You know, endures to the end. So he's, I, he just opened the Word of God to me. And Dr. Walton was the most monotone <laughs> professor in the whole world. And what he said was absolutely life-changing for me because I paid attention. And he was talking about things that mattered. This one I'm just going to bring up, but by avoiding the whole counsel of God. We teach some things, but we completely ignore other things. Probably a couple of things that I brought up on Monday and Tuesday about marriage and gender. That's stuff that used to be taught all the time, and now people just want make the main things the main things. So marriage and gender are not main things, apparently. Right? I don't get where they draw the line. But we'll get back to that. By pursuing false teaching, and you're saying like, wait a second, Kevin, you're saying I can be pursuing false teaching? I didn't say that. The Bible says that. I'm just summarizing. <laughs> right? Look at this. For the time will come, Paul tells Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who are they? They might be you. Now, I don't talk about endurance a whole lot. But if you're into 20-minute sermons, they... And most people that do 20-minute sermons, that's their only food for the week, right? That's all they do. It's like endure sound teaching. It takes time to learn. They, the time will come, Paul tells Timothy, they will not endure sound teaching, sound doctrine, but according to their own what? Their own desires, what will they do? They don't escape from teaching. What do they do? It's the opposite. And you're like, this seems counterintuitive. Because they have itching ears, they will what? Heap up for themselves, teachers. What? That sounds good, don't you? Hey, you need to read all the books you can. You need to listen to all the podcasts you can, if you know how to run that, you know, right? The podcast app. Who has time for podcasts? Okay, good, I don't. <laughs> it's like, come on, can you talk faster? Because I got t things to do, you know. I can't multitask in a podcast. I can't listen and do stuff. 
Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's bad. Right? Understand that. Um, they heap up on themselves teachers. I think the internet today has multiplied this greatly. But we listen and listen and listen and listen. Does that help you? Let me, let me suggest something here. If you're not doing anything with the, what you're hearing, it doesn't help you. And if it's diminishing the impact of your pastor's teaching, it's hurting you. Okay? And the Bible says here, they just heap to themselves teachers. And what is the result of that? The more you add, the, you don't know what's true and what isn't true. Because you don't have time to think through logically and what people say. And a lot of things, someone can say, hey, did you know so-and-so? This is true in the Bible. And they'll just believe it without any kind of evidence. We, we, are, we get, become gullible. They'll be turned, they will be, they turn their ears away from what? The truth. There's all kinds of teachers with the implication is a lot of them aren't any good. You have to understand that just because it's on the Christian radio station in no way makes it accurate, clear, or truthful. And I honestly believe we lull ourselves into some kind of christian type of lifestyle and we do absolutely nothing with what we're taught. And notice, they're turned aside to fables. They start getting the people that are eloquent they sound good, and they have to be important because they're on the radio, for crying out loud, right? They're on the Internet. They have their own YouTube channel. They have to be good, or at least good at technology, right? At least that. But it says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Be willing to endure sound doctrine. Be willing to put up with it and listen because it takes time and effort and energy. You would never approach guys a football team like we approach church. My kids were in homeschool softball in the last two months. We even made them practice. We had to work at it. Why do you think that Christianity comes with a visit a week? It doesn't, not biblical Christianity. There's hard work in being a man of God. And I'm not talking about someone behind the pulpit. I'm talking about someone in your home. It takes time, effort, and energy to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, even review what the pastor is teaching, which I think is a very important aspect. If pastors equipped, then we need to pay attention to what pastors are saying. Even if they look like me, right? Next one here. <laughs> Pursuing false teaching, but notice, succumbing to false teachers. You have to understand that you may be in this. Where, what are you listening to? What are you reading? People throw out names like crazy, and it's like, I, I understand and I learn things from different people that they don't have to be a cookie-cutter stamp of me. Don't understand... <laughs> Trust me, if you look at my walls, it's like, isn't he Lutheran? <laughs> Presbyterian? You know, listen, you can learn things from people that have good things to offer, but you have to understand where they approach it from, too. Right? 
Succumbing to false teachers. This is what Peter says. But there were also false prophets among the people. Even as there will be false teachers, what does it say? Among you. Hey, they're friends. They're not enemies. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. This is what Peter says will happen. May you not be the many, but many will. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. They're going to tell you what you want to hear because you want to hear that. Christianity is easy. Here's the magic, the secret that's inside the Bible that, guess what? No one else has ever taught before. <laughs> Oops. That's probably a red flag. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. There's going to be false teachers and many will follow them. And it's talking about the church. They fall away, right? They're, they're, they're uh, pulling people away from the truth. Here's another passage. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Are you those? It doesn't mean you don't go to church. I'll prove that in a second here. We already talked about heaping to ourselves teachers. Oh no, we got Bible studies like we got Bible studies after our Bible studies. And it's like, aren't you the one that cheats on your taxes and doesn't obey the laws of the land? How's that Bible study coming for you? Right? It, it's it's busyness, not edification. Right? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This is what believers will do. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Because I'm far enough along, I don't care what you have to say. I believe this over here and nothing you can say can change my mind. Pretty much summarizes some people. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods. Man, we talk about food a lot, don't we? It's like God says, hey, everything's given. Enjoy it. Let's get to the important things, right? Uh, ongoing here. Here's another one. But know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. I'm not saying we're in the last days, but we're sure in perilous times. For men will be lovers of themselves. I think the whole exercise regimen, I'm not against exercise. I love reading about it. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I'm not against exercise, and I understand the importance of it. It just sometimes we elevate it to some kind of worship, right? I always tell people, and again, off to the side, but it's like, you know what? Taking up your cross and following Jesus is probably pretty good exercise. And that's what God emphasizes in the Bible. And I don't think exercise is bad, understand. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, 
proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. By the way, all of this goes against the Word of God, right? Unthankful, unholy, unloving. That's a Greek word, astorge, no familial connection. I'll kill my babies. Right? I believe it or not, people don't care about their children. Kids grow up without daddies. And mommies don't care, maybe. I don't know. Don't care who they connect with or whatever. Despite, uh, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heady. Sorry. I shifted to King James for a minute. Sorry about that. Traitors, headstrong, haughty. Notice this. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I live in Des Moines, Iowa. It's the largest city in Iowa. Some of you have heard of it. I, I point out to the kids in the morning when we go to Sunday's to, to head over to the church building, I said, you could drive with your eyes closed to church, but there'll be a traffic jam at the Wells Fargo Arena. We are so caught up in pleasure, entertainment. We'll spend 80 bucks. I don't know. I'm, get, I'm throwing it for a ticket for a Christian singer, but we won't make it to church. And you're like, is that Christian at all then? You know, what does that do? How does that improve your service to God in your local assembly? Right? Um, Lovers of pleasure, and notice it says, rather than lovers of God. It's a trade-off. If you're doing what you want to do, that's you, not God. Even if it has a Christian label on it. Right? That's you. Did God say to do that? Having a, this is, look at this. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. It's not anti-religion. It's just a replacement religion. We're worshiping God without the truth of God. It doesn't impact us. What's great is I can go to church and it costs me nothing. I don't have to change. I don't have to be different. I do exactly what the world does. Boom! And it's true. If you start preaching the Word of God in some places, I think they would evacuate like a fire drill or something. They don't want the Word of God to change them. They're just like the world, just like what we talked about yesterday. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into houses and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. And notice this. This is what I highlight too. You can be over-taught because you're not doing anything to settle the teaching. You're not doing anything... He says this, he says this, he says this. Oh, really? Well, he says this, he says this, he says this. What does that do for you? I'm not against differences of input or opinion. But if all you do is have all these ideas, but you don't know what's true, you're ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. All of that listening does nothing if it doesn't help you nail things down in the Word of God. Ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What a sad statement. 
But again, it's all focused on me, right? Lovers of pleasure, lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Love's there, but not love of the right thing, right? <clears throat> okay, rapid fire coming up. I skipped the word because all of this is in the word, right? So there's a missing point there, so you don't have to save a gap. By the way, I designed those outlines before I ever designed the messages. So, it's, Like I said, I usually finish right before I get here. So. <clears throat> Our response, there's a whole bunch here. and I'm just going to run them through. Again, the notes are there. They're all in the notes. So, What's the remedy, right? And this is like, of course this is true. Well, let me state it a little stronger. Pastors are to preach the word faithfully. Do you know it's scary to preach the word of God? To you? I don't even know you, like I said, most of you. I was really scared on Monday. I wasn't quite as scared on Tuesday because I didn't die on Monday. <laughs> and I knew if I lived through Tuesday, it would be downhill from there. <clears throat> but it's hard to preach the whole Word of God, to preach the Word of God faithfully, but you have to. This is what the Bible says here. Paul is telling Timothy directly, and he says, just so you know, I'm calling God the Father and God the Son as witnesses to what I'm about to say. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the latter who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. I just want to let you know, pastors, that God will judge you for what you preach. And that's what he, he's telling Timothy this, and he's been around Timothy for 20 years. And he said, come on, buddy, come on over here. He grabs him by the neck and squeezes hard, and he said, I'm, I want to let you know that God's watching you, and you will give an account to God. And you must preach the word of God. He said, goes on to say, preach the word, proclaim the word, declare the word. Ultimately, a pastor is not there, cannot be there to please the hearers he is to care for the hearers anyone here have kids do you ever tell kids things that they need to know even though they don't want to know them all their lives till you're old enough and then they're starting to direct you right dad there's a stop sign right ahead oh sorry you know payback kind of thing helps Preach the word. Be ready whether you feel like it or not, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. And it's getting more and more inconvenient. People don't like to go to church. They're busy. What? Busy? Well, don't you start with that and then work in what you can afterward? Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Notice here it says, convince. The King James says, reprove the second one here. Do you know that the pastor's there to tell you when you're wrong? How dare he? Listen, Paul told Timothy, how dare you not? Because you're preaching the word of God, and rebuke is part of that. And exhort, encourage, exhort can be translated in multiple different ways. Encourage, comfort, exhort. It depends on your situation. Exhorting can be encouraging someone to finish a 12-mile road march that isn't in front of the pace man, 
right? It could be someone that just lost their parent and you're comforting them, or it could be getting on somebody's case because they're not doing what's right. With all long suffering and teaching, it takes time, you know, and I know, it takes time to learn things because it's like, I've never seen that before. And it's like, I've read through my Bible many times and it, oh, that was the first time it kind of clicked for me. Or things, pieces get put together for us. The second one here, pastors are to work hard to rightly divide the word. Now, I don't mean to pull a rug out from under you, but 2 Timothy 2.15 is written to a pastor, not to everyone. I'm not saying everyone shouldn't rightly divide the word. You understand that? But this, the direct application is that Paul is telling Timothy to work hard to get it right because he is preparing the Word of God. He's studying the Word of God so he can relay it. At that time, people didn't have copies of the Word of God. Right? It was just whatever the few things were. This is written directly to a pastor, and pastors need to work hard to rightly divide the Word. I saw all kinds of things in the bookstore again. You know, instant sermons. You know, I didn't say instant sermons, but here's a church annual that has like a hundred and four sermons for the whole year even if throw in a couple of funerals and weddings if you live by that can i suggest something get out of the ministry because you are not pastoring at all you are to rightly divide the word and regurgitating something in a commentary or in a church annual is not preaching and it certainly isn't protecting Rightly divide the word takes time. And it, it involves even wrestling with words that are there. You find out, oh, I, that, I completely understand it differently now that I studied it. Right? Be diligent and notice you're presenting yourself approved to God. By the way, it's easy to get lazy in the ministry. Paul knew Timothy for 20 years and he says, don't you let down. You keep doing the work you need to do to get it right. And it's easy to slack off and it's easy to get it wrong. Do you know that in the Bible, well, I'm going to use another verse out of James. I totally ruined his day yesterday, apparently. <laughs> I, didn't, I wasn't intending to do that. It was always part of what I had. But uh, it says here, be not many... Teachers. And yet we're saying, oh, we're starting another Bible study. We're starting another Bible study. Why? Because it's so hard to get it right. I kind of like hate Bible studies. I know that sounds bad. Aren't you a pastor? Because I believe that few people are to be teaching rather than many, only because the Bible says that. It's harder than you think to get it right. And just because you read it in a book doesn't mean it's right. And it's like, oh, but he gives a reason for it. Yeah, but do you know the four reasons it's not true? It takes time and skill to rightly divide the Word of God. Number three here, pastors are to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And I'm poking on pastors first. You'll get your chance if you're not a pastor. Paul says this, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, and it relates to pastors, is Acts chapter 20, and I've abbreviated it, but he says, he's saying to the Ephesian elders, he said, how I kept nothing, I kept back nothing that was helpful. And by the way, 
The entire Word of God, according to 2 Timothy 3, is profitable. We just finished studying, like I said, the book of Judges at church, and I'm like, why did we never study the book of Judges? It is so relevant, right? But proclaimed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also the, to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's both salvation and sanctification, by the way. Therefore, I testify to you on this day that I am innocent to the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It's more fun to preach your favorite passages. James is like crazy. So, James is a hard book, it is. But it, it's, it's uh, good to teach it, though, right? And, and there's a lot to sort through, and boy, the commentaries go every direction, right? So Will has done a fantastic job, by the way, Will, I, from my perspective, if it counts for anything. Um, but to declare the whole counsel of God. And the whole counsel of God is not just, by the way, before we got to Judges, we did Joshua. Before we did Joshua, we did Deuteronomy. Yeah, we even went through Leviticus and Numbers as, as a church. And you're like, this is amazing. And guess what? You understand the New Testament so much better, too. It's like, oh, that's what Paul meant by that, right? Another one, pastors are to protect the flock from within and without. This is, again, Acts chapter 20. This is huge, and this is what I see. I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. I'm a protector of the flock, not just the preacher who stands in the pulpit. Notice what he says here. Therefore, take heed to yourselves. You have to start there, right, man? Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, to pastor, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. In among you. Not sparing the flock. Have you ever had people come in and just tear things apart? They're teachers or whatever. That can happen, right? Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Again, among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. He says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Samuel, I don't know what I'm doing, man, but I'm doing it. I usually tell... Um, Dave Callison, when he sees me, I said, I didn't do it. And he goes, well, that's the problem. You didn't. So I don't know what it is, but. Believers are to embrace their need of the word. Look at what Jesus said to the woman at the well. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. But notice here it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him, what's the next word? Must worship him in spirit. You have to be in. It's not a liturgy, senseless liturgy, but also you have to have the truth. The songs we sing must be first and foremost true. The, the curriculum that we teach must first and foremost be true. You must worship God in spirit and truth. And as far as need, Jesus in his prayer, John 17 said, 
to the God the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You cannot grow or change or be what God wants apart from the word of God. <clears throat> Believers, it's a master basic truths. Lauren, this is what you mentioned the other day. We talked about a lot at Northridge. Notice this. Do you know that there's things you should know well enough that you could teach them? Not in a formal way necessarily, but you could repeat them. Notice this is here. For though by this time you are, you ought, you're obligated to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the, the kindergarten stuff, first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. By the way, you can diminish in your spiritual maturity. Did you know that? By ignoring the truth, you become less understanding and less able to comprehend the truth. For everyone who partakes only of milk, fluffy, you know, we like the fluffy sermon that's short because we got things to do, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, free as a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You can't even live rightly apart from the word of God, and that's a maturity thing. It goes on to say this in the first part of Hebrews 6, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on in perfection, maturity, not laying again the foundation. And here he lists these basic things. The foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That is both salvation and sanctification. But most people I've known cannot clearly enunciate the gospel. They cannot tell clearly how to share the gospel with somebody. Let me ask you this. What does it take to be saved? I've done this before. I've been in churches that I've pastored even. We'll have tracks. You know what tracks are? The paper things that you hand out sometimes? Well, I have a track rack, and I say, do me a favor, and I, I've done like five or ten, and I say, give me ten of those tracks, or five of those tracks, and at that time, I had an overhead projector. Some of you are like, you write on it, and it shines on the wall, okay? And I say, okay, at the end of the track, it tells you how to be saved. How many steps do you have? You have four, you have three, two, five, six. This one says to pray. What does it tell you to pray? Oh, it says something to pray different. This one doesn't say to pray at all. This one says something different. Yeah, and this one says to pray, but it says something to pray different. That's in our own track rack. By the way, we purged. Because that's confusion. People don't know. Read Sunday school curriculums, and they're like, they get it wrong, and, and everyone tells you something different. Right? That's a basic. And by the way, you can't build on a faith that you do not understand. Of the doctrine of baptism. Baptisms? You know your connection to the body of Christ is the spirit that baptizes you into the body of Christ? That's how you're connected. That's salvation. And it uses the term baptism. And even what baptism, the water baptism sense for. Notice it's plural. Laying on of hands. That has to do with authority. Do you know that there are 17 different submission relationships in the Bible? Submission is part of a responsibility, and even the authority of laying on of hands is a transferring of authority to somebody. And then the resurrection of the dead, the future state, what we're to be looking forward to all the time, and of eternal judgment. Those are things that you should be, converse, be able to converse with knowledgeably, and God calls them the elemental or basic things. If you're around Christ at all, you should... Uh, for any length of time, those things you should be able to teach. Someone comes up to you and says, hey, let me tell you about 
repentance from dead works and faith toward Christ. Right? Those are basics. Believers are to practice the truth. Oh! So it's more than pastor that was a good sermon. Right? What does it say here? As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so be walking in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught. You're supposed to do something with what you've been taught. When's the last time you did something with what you were taught? That's the routine. That's the make disciples process. I always hear people like, oh, we need to have a discipleship program. What's the discipleship program? It's you taking what you've been taught and go doing it. And I can't, I'm not saying you can't help people do that, but discipleship takes place when you learn and live it out. And it doesn't take a special program. It just takes the proclamation of the Word of God. Another one here. Believers are to focus their thinking on the spiritual continuously. Okay, this is going to blow you out of the water maybe. Book of Colossians, chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, if you're saved, it always talks about being raised with Christ in the past tense because we're baptized into the body of Christ and what's happened, what's true for him is also true for us, us now to a large degree. It commands us here, be seeking those things which are above. That's a command. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Here's the second command. Be setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That means you, you have to quit thinking about all the stuff, the extraneous things that draw you away from th- setting your mind on things above. Illustration. Not condemnation. How many people can name all the major characters in the Lord of the Rings? How many people can dis- uh, explain repentance toward dead works and faith toward Christ? There's people that can tell you everything there is to know about any football team, rock singer, uh, sports caster, or even the latest doctrinal trend, and they're not thinking about God. They're not thinking about things that are on there. We're to set our mind on things above. That's a present tense imperative, which means all the time, not on things on the earth. Really, we get so preoccupied in things that pull us away. Romans 12, 2, we like that because it's not so harsh. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm going to run through the rest of these just to show you real quick, but I want to leave you with this. Because I don't have time to finish it in full. But if I can challenge you with this. There is not one thing that I can encourage you to do more as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, than this. All right, you ready? You might even want to write it down. Read through your Bible every year. I've, I've sat under some of the most amazing teachers at Faith Baptist Bible College and Seminary. So, and I have had some of the most amazing pastors from my perspective growing up. 
Nothing has had more impact on my spiritual life and spiritual understanding than reading through the Bible every year. I'm a bivocational pastor. I work 40 to 50 hours a week, then I study, right? And I have a family that's probably larger than yours, right? And then we care for my wife's parents and all of that. It's not a time thing. You have the same amount of time as I do. What do you do with your time? You know how much time you have to dedicate and carve out every day to read through your Bible in a year. And I would read through it every year. You know how much time it takes? You know how much time you have to carve out? The average reader, you ready? You're going to like, oh no, this is going to take a major... 15 minutes a day. You can read 1,189 chapters in a year, every year, 15 minutes. It is not an issue of time. It's an issue of understanding the need. And I tell you, I've done it for years. My kids do it. Our whole church is like, read, you know, they, everyone has their own plan or what they read through the Bible in different ways. And every year you read through it, you learn more and see more. You see God and you, you're reminded of God. How come you didn't preach the other 65 books this week, Will? You can only preach one thing at a time. I just finished Luke, like I said, in March, in the Sunday mornings. And, uh, but I told him, I, I probably won't be through another gospel before the Lord calls me home. There's not enough time. But the Word of God is there in front of us, and we have access to it readily. And like I say, you can have 8 million different translations on your smartphone, right? But you have to read the Bible, and the Bible is there for you to read. And we, how many here can read? And I'm not being facetious. How many here can read? In, in bygone days, that would have not been possible. We have all the access. We have the time-saving devices and all that, so we can do it in easy. But there's nothing more important than reading through the Word of God every year. And it's not hard. But you need to walk with God, and there's nothing that can impact you more than that. I'm just telling you. I think I pushed a button here. Sam, can you help me? I can't. I, I, it's flashing. It's now it's saying naughty things to me. No. <laughs> Believers are to encourage one another in the truth. By the way, you come to church. It says here, not, what's the opposite of forsaking? Do you know that? What does it say? They're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting. It's active involvement in somebody's life. You, you need... The other people. That's why church assemblies are so important. Believers are to be equipped and protected by their shepherds. How can a shepherd protect you if you're not at least interacting with what you're listening to on the internet or whatever? The, the whole idea of the church being out there doesn't correlate with the idea that Will is there to protect and teach Crossroad Baptist Church. And he can't protect you from everything. He's there to teach you and feed you. He's the equipper. And all of the other stuff just keeps you from focusing on what the pastor God gave you is teaching. Believers are to meditate on the Word day and night. And I already kind of talked about that. We're supposed to meditate on it. How do you do that if you're not in the Word of God? There's no way you can keep from being drawn away like many will be unless you're in the Word of God continually. And that's what I want to leave you with. Be in the Word of God. And it's not hard. Even if you read a chapter a day, you'll finish the Word of God every three years. 
But if you can't afford 15 minutes a day, might I suggest you change your schedule? Four hours for a football game. The average movie is over two hours. The average movie has, what, 40 minutes of advertisement. If you watch it on TV, I don't do a lot of TV stuff, but we have time, right? But we need to start saying no to a lot of things and just start being in the Word of God. Doctrinal deviation happens unless you are in the Word of God. There's no way it cannot happen, all right? Thank you for your patience. Thank you for even laughing when I'm funny or not funny. And I've just appreciated being here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.